This episode is sponsored by the Mighty Mighty Iron Galaxy. We make lots of games. You might even like a few. Follow us on Twitter at i to the G. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Arno, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories May 2015 podcast, featuring the theme, Press Start, to appropriately compliment our special guest for the month, Arcade Brewery. If you like nerdy shit and craft beer and live in Chicago or nearby, uh, Arcade Brewery should for sure be on your radar. Uh, they brought out a couple folks to share stories this week, including PJ McNulty and Lance Curran. Uh, this episode you'll also hear from Chicago Historical Society preservationist Ranish Vashist, local comedians Logan Dean and Mike Gifford, and director of live events for WBEZ Don Hall, plus music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. Uh, so you probably noticed that there have been ads at the front of these episodes for the last few months. That's all thanks to the Chicago Podcast Co-op, a really cool group that's helping a bunch of great Chicago podcasters by finding them sponsors, helping us to keep doing what, honestly, a lot of us had been doing for free for a long time. Uh, so the Nerdalogs really believe in the co-op, and if you're looking for a new podcast to check out, there are a bunch of great ones on there. Uh, the other two Nerdalog shows, MBSing and Talking Games, are uh, for sure sponsored, as well as 14 other really cool things. Uh, just last night, the co-op hosted a mixer where I met a bunch of the other podcasters, and I was really inspired to start listening to Random Conversations, uh, so I think that's my next podcast project, uh, if you'd like to join me in listening. You know, I probably won't know, but you should still listen to it. Uh, for a complete list of Chicago Podcast Co-op shows, check out chicagopodcastcoop.com. Uh, also check out our sponsor for this episode, of course, Iron Galaxy Games. Studio founder Dave Lang was on an episode of Your Stories last year and uh, shared a super, super great thing. Uh, they're all just really cool people, and they make stuff that you like, like the game Dive Kick. Yeah, I said it right this time. On the episode, I called it Drop Kick, like an idiot. It is Dive Kick. Sorry, Dave. Thanks for the sponsorship. Uh, with all that said, of course, we are here for stories, so let's get to them. Claire, do you want to introduce this song? Yeah, I do. Um, This is a song that was released by a young woman who's now become a slightly older woman. (laughs) Because time passes for her as it does for most. (laughs) 
You guys, time passes in a linear fashion, you know? That's That's what I learned from this artist. Um, All of her albums are named after the age she's at when she released them, if that helps. That's true. Yeah. It's a fun hint. And so so this is her first big single, which is a song. Tiffany. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany 1, Tiffany (laughs) 2. That's how old Tiffany was when she released that. <laughs> no, it's a song by Adele. This is Chasing Payments, which was her first single. And uh, they're two albums that I super love. And so I'm going to sing one of those and try and, and do her some justice. This is off 19, which is crazy because yeah. that's, wow. Yeah. She was 19. She was a hairstylist. She was not at all a trained singer. She worked at a beauty salon and like sung along to like do up. She, and she was like, I can do this. <laughs> and she won a yeah, Grammy. She was <laughs> To look no further, this ain't love. I know this is love. If I tell the world, I'll never say enough because it was not said to you, and that's exactly what I need to do if I.
me and Dwight are going to do a song. We actually, this is kind of a cheat. We played this at your stories like four years ago before we ever recorded it. So there's no internet version of us doing this song. And I am going to, uh, so if there's one thing that I think I could really like offer the world of music criticism, it's a reevaluation of the band Extreme, who I think, I think, and I say this with no irony, is easily the best band of the 1980s. Okay? If you, if you track their first four albums, it's this kind of brilliant progression, like, uh, they're growing up in front of you, right? So their first album, hold this, give me a second. So their first album is fixated on childhood with songs called like Little Girls and Wind Me Up and Come Out and Play. And it's all about, hey, we just got these instruments and we're, we're going to be puerile and dumb kids. And their second album is like, they're starting to make money for it. And it's called Pornography. And it's what happens when you introduce economics into the equation. And all of a sudden, things aren't so nice and playful. It's about things like sex and, and money and drugs and selling out yourself. And and it's all in the guise of this really dumb, stupid, like, frat music. And I fucking love it. It's so good. And so, this song that a bunch of housewives think is like a super romantic song, I think is not at all. This song is saying, hey, you don't need to tell me you love me, just fuck me. Like, that's not romantic at all. That's just a dude trying to get some. So anyway, this is the only hit single that Extreme really ever had. This is called More Than Words. If you know anybody at Rolling Stone, I'd really like to write this article. <laughs> Shout your hands. Hey. 
Just about fucking anyway. Oh boy, guys. All right, let's get back to our guest from Arcade Brewery, huh? Starting with PJ McNulty. company for about 10 years. So I left Goose Island, was at a crossroads, and my brother also was at a crossroads with his kind of career path. So we're like, hey, what should we do? And all of a sudden, he's like, well, I've got a, I know a guy who's in printing. I'm like, great. What, who does he know? He's like, well, he knows a guy who's maybe wants to beard, bring a beer to Chicago. I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Let's, let's do it. He's like, he's a baseball player. I'm like, okay, I'm in. What's going on? Uh, he's like, well, he's, he doesn't speak a whole lot of English. <laughs> Not a big deal. We can figure it out. So is there okay? Uh, we'll call the space player Vladimir, if you will. Uh, so, uh, and he was, happened to be playing the uh, Cleveland Indians. So, like, okay, we're going to fly to Cleveland, <laughs> talk to Vladimir about a potential beer launch in Chicago. I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. Uh, so we got our plenty of tickets and everything, get some nice, really spiffy business cards and everything. We're okay, professional, and we're reading about all players and everything. So we fly into Cleveland, and uh, okay, anyone been to Cleveland? Yes! yes. yes. Cleveland rocks, right? It rocks. No. Uh, <laughs> 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 but no, it's cool. Yeah. Hey, there's some cool places in Cleveland, there are. Uh, so. We land at the airport, we, we check in our hotel, we're like, great. Go in the lobby, we call our guy, kind of like the middleman. And they're like, hey man, we're here, is it great? We'll pick you up in a minute. He picks us up. We're driving through not the best neighborhood, but whatever, it's it's quaint, it's Cleveland, you know, so high. Um, so we pull in, and it's just like, basically it's like kind of a street party. We're like, great, this is awesome. So we go in, we're like, great, what's on the menu? They're like, oh, we're eating goats. I'm like, okay, I like goat. It's gamey, I like it. We're in, so we're eating goats and rice, excellent. Uh, Vladimir walks in, uh, so he's like, great, and I'm like, where's the beer? He's like, well, the beer's not even in Cleveland yet. I'm like, hey, not a big deal. That's cool. Like, what beer is this? He's like, eh, whatever. Uh, it's actually, we'll call it Presidente. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we meet with Vladimir, and of course he speaks no English, and I speak very piquito, Espanol. Uh, <laughs> so we have our baseballs, we're like, hey, can you sign this baseball? We're taking selfies, it's great. Uh, and we really basically realize that this is going nowhere. 
And I'm like, okay, it's, it's not a big deal. We'll figure this one out. So we go back to our hotel room. We're like, okay, that's kind of a bust. But at least we had some like a goat meal. And we had some baseball players hung out at you know, a cool party in Cleveland. Um, so then we go back to Cleveland Airport. And we're flying uh, the beautiful Southwest Airlines, the Dirty Bird. And uh, so we go in there. And we're like, okay, we're kind of feeling a little like, you know, crestfallen. We didn't really get what we wanted to do in this little party, this trip. So uh, we're like, no big deal. We're going to go home. We had a big family dinner that night around 7 o'clock in Chicago. Cleveland's about an hour ahead. Uh, so okay, not a big deal. We'll make dinner. We'll be fine. So we get there early. It's like an 8 o'clock flight. We get there. All of a sudden, a big announcement. We're like, hey, would anyone like to go with their seats? Because we're a book flight. And we'll put you in the next flight, in, you know, an hour and a half away. We'll give you a voucher. So I looked at my brother, and he's like, he's like, why not? I'm like, why not? Let's do it. So we go up to the, you know, go up to the ticket counter guy, and he's like, hey, man, like, we'll, we'll do it. Give us the voucher. Not a big deal. So I give us the vouchers. We're great. We go to the bar, have a drink, you know, have a beer. Uh, <laughs> and we're like, okay, great. So then we go back, and we give the next announcement. And they're like, hey, would anyone like to give up their seats, give up their seats for this flight? We'll give you enough fight in the hour ahead. And they look at him, and he looks at me, and we're like, well, fine, fuck it, whatever, well, we're in. So we go up there, and they're like, hey, you know, PJ, like, Connor, like, hey, we're, yeah, we're back. Uh, so, they, so they give us another voucher, like, okay, no, not a big deal. So then we go back, and we're walking to the bar, and I'm like, hey, Connor, like, I, we need to stop drinking at this point. Or we're going to start losing money on the steel, right? At this point, I'm like running numbers in my head. I'm like, okay, well, we, you know, we're making money, but we can stop drinking. So we're trying to like, buy a deck of cards and some waters. So now we're at the airport playing cards and drinking water, which not many people do, but we were doing it. And uh, so it's just like two hours in, two vouchers in. Another announcement. <laughs> At this point, they're like, Connor and PJ, would you guys like to come up? <laughs> so, we, so we walk up, very feebly walk up, and they're like, hey, they're like, hey, what's so, this is kind of happening, you guys want in? And we're like, well, like, sure, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so they're great, so they give us the vouchers again, we go back to our seats, we keep on playing gin rummy. Uh, and at this point, we're like, well, we have to make this dinner. I'm like, yeah, we get it, we can do this. So, uh, so another hour goes by, and it's fine. I think my brother's hitting on some girl. I don't fucking know. But it's like, <laughs> anyway, we're going to join ourselves paying cards. And another announcement comes up. They don't even make the announcement. They just come look at us, and they're like, hey, come on up here. <laughs> so we walk up again, and they're like, hey, we've got one more fight. We're like, this is cool, but we have to make this family dinner in like three hours. We're going to make it back to Chicago. We're like, don't worry. We'll be in the next flight. So, of course, we were like horse, and we took the doctors again. <laughs> Okay, so now I'm like almost like sitting hours in like Southwest vouchers. I'm like, great. Uh, so we go after our seats, keep on drinking our water, because we're not drinking this, we're sober at this point. Uh, playing cards. And then finally, it's like the last flight, and we're like, dude, we gotta fucking make it. So yeah, we walked in our flight, and then uh, made it to our family dinner, and everything worked out. But I poured myself out to Southwest Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> Southwest, obviously the superior airline. I'm not trying for sponsorships here, but if I were, I would say there's no reason to fly United or Delta or American when Southwest has comfortable planes and friendly service. Fly Southwest, everybody. All right. Hey. 
Guys, more, I mean, more than one person can hoard themselves out to the Southwest. It's cool. Uh, so coming up next to the stage, we have from the Chicago Historical Society, Ranish Vashish. My name's Ranish Vashish. I work for the uh, Chicago Historical Society. My day job is I'm a preservationist for documents that chronicle Chicago's history. Um, there's no theme of press start other than I'm excited to press start on a fun relationship with Nerdalogs. <laughs> so, uh, so we preserve the written history of Chicago. It's the boring and banal history, unfortunately. It's not the fun stuff like the, uh, the Roms and the Capones and the Dailies, um, but it's the history of, of you and me and the written history we create in Chicago, and we love to preserve that. So if you guys are cool with it, I'd love to read you a few of the documents that we preserve. Is that cool? Yeah. Hey. Uh, this is one of our real nice gems. Um, <laughs> Chicago architecture is amazing. Um, in 1973, Mies van der Rohe made the IBM building which is my favorite building in Chicago. But an equally important thing happened in this building in 1985, and that's IBM Company released Revision 2 of their IBM Optonics Dot Matrix Printer Troubleshooting Guide. And I'd like to read that for you today. (laughs) IBM Optonics Dot Matrix Printer Troubleshooting Guide, Revision 2, February 1985. Hello! And thank you for your purchase of an IBM Optonics dot matrix printer, the valued customer. If your printer isn't printing, try the following steps to remedy the problem yourself. Step one, turn off, then turn on the printer. (laughs) Step two, turn off, then turn on, then turn off, then turn on the printer repeatedly. (laughs) All while muttering, Jesus, not today, not today, but today. Step three, go find Diane from reception. She's not IT, but word is she has the magic touch. (laughs) Step four, if Diane says she'll fix it, but only if you take her to lunch, do it. She's weird, but she recently got divorced and has a good heart. (laughs) Step five. Get the smallest salad possible to hint to Diane that you want to make this a quick lunch. Then sit back in horror as she orders a surf and turf. That's lobster and steak. (laughs) Step six. At 2.30, Diane drunkenly stumbles into the print room, turns off, then turns on the printer several times, and then mutters, I don't know, man, it's fucked. (laughs) Step seven. Tell the printer why you need to print so badly. (laughs) Tell it that you need to print and sign custody papers today. Otherwise, Tamara gets your money and your kids. (laughs) Step eight. If none of the above worked, call IBM Technical Support and we'll send you a new printer in six to eight weeks. Thank you. (laughs) It's a real fun one. I like it a lot. Um... Now, how many of you drink Starbucks, huh? Yeah. yeah? I uh, drink Starbucks. Great. <laughs> uh, now, they've been in the news a lot for their Starbucks Race Together campaign. Um, but did you guys know in 2004 they called us in to preserve some of their document history before they closed their Chicago office and relocated to Seattle? 
Um, and we got we got this gem that I'm really excited about. Uh, so some context. Uh, on March 8th, 2004, a car crashed into a Starbucks in Oak Park. And these are some of their drafts for an official response to the incident. Corporate Communications Department. Response to crash car crashing into Oak Park Starbucks. Drafts and final copy. Draft 1, not approved for release, March 9th, 2004. Clearly, our in-store car pickup program needs refinement. <laughs> Draft 2, not approved for release, March 10th, 2004. In their defense, for every 10 baristas you hit with your car, you get a free latte. <laughs> Uh, draft three, also not approved for release, March 11th. Every car that crashes into our store gets $1 off a of pastry after 2 p.m. <laughs> draft four, not approved for release, March 12th. We consider this an attack on the hive mind that powers our stores. <laughs> we will take appropriate action to defend our queen. <laughs> draft five, not approved for release, March 13th. Was it a nice car? <laughs> it was? It was a Camry? Well, that's a nice-ish car, but not a nice car. <laughs> okay, fine, just saying, that's all. No, I have nothing against poor people, it's just at Starbucks. <laughs> we think our customers accept a certain level of nice car to crash into the store. <laughs> Draft 6, not approved, March 14th. We have sinned. God has decided that we are sinners and we throw ourselves prostrate at this car god. We will draw blood if necessary. We are Starbucks. We are ruthless. We never sleep, but we do close at 10. <laughs> Finally, draft 7, approved for release March 15, 2004. Our sympathies go out to the families of the four children that lost their lives. We will, of course, refund their purchase. <laughs> and, uh... Living history, you know? <laughs> so finally, I want to read. Uh, we were probably one of Chicago's oldest nonprofits. I'm really excited about our mission. Uh, and we got this one from a division of the National Park Service that closed down here in Chicago, um, but we were able to preserve this gem. I'm really proud of it. Uh, Yellowstone Wilderness Safety Guidelines, revised June 1952. Latest revisions approved by the McCarthy Panel for Wildlife Security. Dear American Yellowstone Tourist, welcome to one of America's soon-to-be privately owned crown jewels. Now, as an aside, that didn't come true. Yellowstone National Park safety is of the utmost importance while visiting. In Yellowstone, bear attacks are the most common shared threat. So keep the following guidelines in mind in case you encounter a wild bear. If you encounter a bear, try and determine its political leanings. <laughs> then take appropriate action. Do you suspect the bear intends to redistribute wealth? If so, report it. <laughs> if the bear is a member of a union, report it. <laughs> If during your encounter with the bear, it begins to agitate for a fair wage, report it. <laughs> if the bear begins to pass out literature on the nature of capital in an industrialized society, take the literature and then play dead. <laughs> 
If the bear attempts to coerce you into a plot to engage in collective bargaining with management, climb a tree. <laughs> Finally, if the bear is your teenage daughter, wait it out for three years, and if the problem persists, shoot her. <laughs> Thank you for playing your part in keeping Yellowstone safe for all true Americans. Warmest regards, Senator Joseph McCarthy. Thank you. So, uh, so that's what I have. Again, I'm a preservationist. Um, if after the show you'd like to talk to me, and if you work in an office, I would love to hear from you. Uh, we will come in, we will comb through your minutia, and we will preserve the real gems. So thank you so much. <laughs> That really has me hankering to go visit Yellowstone, which, of course, the best way to get there is to fly a lovely Southwest Airlines flight. <laughs> Non-stop round-trip service, guys. All the time, anywhere you want to go, the Continental 48 Southwest is the answer. Coming up next to the stage, good friend of mine, Mr. Logan Dean. Hi. Hi. So everybody did great. Uh, give a hand for everybody's gone. That was awesome. Everybody's talking about like really important life shit, and I'm gonna like ramble on about a pinball machine. Um, so I like pinball. It's pretty cool. Uh, that's where I got my thing for press start was pinball because I like it. <laughs> Killing it, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a kid, uh, the, 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 the one of the things that really sticks out for me when I was a kid was the fucking Crossfire commercial. Yeah. Uh, it's a commercial where two children uh, float into a volcano and shoot metal balls at each other until one of them, I think, evaporates? Um, or, like, is derezzed into Tron or something? I'm not really sure. But the game itself is shitty. It sucks. It's just a circle, and there's no discernible point scoring system. You're just shooting balls at each other. Uh but then I got tall enough to see what was going on on pinball tables, and that seemed more like Crossfire. So I got really into that. Uh, my favorite pinball table is the Twilight Zone pinball table, uh, which was manufactured in 1993 right here in Chicago, Illinois, at the Midway Pinball Company. Uh, it's an amazing table in that it's, all, it's highly regarded as the best table ever made, as well as the most challenging in that it has all the shit on it. Um, you might know pinball tables as those big glass chambers where all those toys live, and people shoot balls at them. Um, so a lot of the pinball tables in the 90s had, like, the Johnny Mnemonic table has this, like, uh, yeah. it's got this, like, magnetic glove, and he says, I'm making a long-distance phone call. And then he, like, uh, you know, picks up the ball and, like, puts it in the slot, and then you gotta do I'm gonna say balls a lot. Just, you guys need to laugh at that and get it out now. Uh, or, like, the Star Trek Next Generation table has these cannons that load the ball and you can shoot across the field and it's it sounds cooler than it actually is. Uh, Apollo 13 has a 13 ball multi-ball that if you pull it off um, will age you seven years. Uh, it's, it, it's, it is as frustrating as being in that capsule. Uh, but the Twilight Zone machine is really great in that it's frustrating but it rewards you for being good at playing it. Uh, it has 17 challenge modes, uh, each one uh, leveling on the door, the Twilight Zone door that's in that you know creepy part where it's like, don't go in the door. Uh, you have to light up every panel on it, and then once you do, you unlock the game's wizard mode. And wizard mode is when you finish all the challenges, it just shoots all its shit at you, and it's like, yeah, good luck now, fucker. And, uh, <laughs> 
So the Twilight Zone Wizard Mode is called Lost in the Zone, and you get 45 seconds of unlimited multi-ball to hit as many targets as you can. It is... Time slows down to this. Uh, 45 seconds might not seem like a lot, but in pinball, it's kind of an eternity. Uh, you are constantly being bombarded with balls, and you're shooting them up and down. Yeah, giggle, it's fine. Um, and the world kind of stops around you, and every flip and every dip and every loop and every ramp is multiplying into something bigger, and then at some point you hit this one switch, and the world explodes in rage and fury and sound, and then you realize you're still just playing a pinball machine, and it's kind of like the closest thing I've ever been to a, like being in a firefight. Uh, but it taught me how to deal with loss, and it taught me how to deal with perseverance, and when things don't go your way, you kind of move forward. And a lot of people might think that's weird that a pinball machine, an inanimate object, taught me this. But uh, we are kind of defined by the objects and machines we interact with daily now. And uh, as a kid, that was really big for me. And I also learned like a lot about grief and responsibility from Spider-Man comics. So <laughs> pinball machine's not that far off. I just cried during a Star Wars trailer. <laughs> I don't know if you guys did that, but it was pretty emotional for me to see Jerry Extra Con Solo. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the Twilight Zone Machine, it's its a great game. You should play it if you ever find it. Don't be discouraged if it whips your ass, because it will. Um, I call it the Widowmaker. Um, <laughs> but I love it. I love the Twilight Zone Pinball Machine, because it kind of made me a little bit who I am today. Uh, thanks, guys. Logan, would you call yourself a pinball wizard? Uh, absolutely not. Oh. You ever met one? How do you think he does it? I don't know. <laughs> What well, makes <laughs> I'm gonna keep pushing Tommy <laughs> until until I do a live thing of Tommy with Claire and Dwight. That's my dream. Anyway, coming we up next, last. we did uh, we did a medley. Okay. We didn't do all of Tommy. Okay. Tommy is 80 minutes long, not three and a half. Claire. <laughs> all right, I have strong strong feelings about Tommy, but we have another speaker coming up who deserves to be introduced instead of me babbling about old Who albums. So, this next gentleman last summer wrote a show at the Annoyance called the Broken Gay Folk Review. He is an essayist who often performs at the shithole. This is Mike Gifford. How are you? These are the shoes of a homosexual who has given up. My name is Mike Gifford. As uh, Eric said, I'm a broken gay. What that means is I shop at places like Kohl's and I like it. When I, when I came out of the closet to my mother, she responded, and I quote, but you dress so poorly. Enough of that. We're going to press start on me getting sexy. This essay is titled Pubic Pandemonium. <laughs> I already know what you're thinking, but we're going there anyway. My pubic hair had grown so long that my privates were starting to resemble a radioactive fusion of Larry from the Three Stooges and Gonzo. <laughs> It was an absolute mess, six months in the making. 
I should have been ashamed of myself for allowing this dystopian dick disaster. <laughs> but I was not. I'm a single homosexual male who has not partaken in a sexual act in quite some time. <laughs> Like fingernails on a chalkboard until you start screaming zippity doo dah day. It's been a long time since I fucked, you know? <laughs> so why would I care if my junk had a Samson-like mane? <laughs> Unless a lovely Delilah showed up. Well, I got into a date-like situation. Vague, I know, but I call it a possibility. A big maybe. Hope. I got to get down and dirty and weed whack the old pubes. Because if I wouldn't put that thing in my mouth, then it's highly unlikely any classy gentleman is going to put my mid-sized hairy Sasquatch dick into their mouth. <laughs> so my facial razor has a trimmer attachment. So I started by buzzing the edges. I cleaned off the happy trail so it no longer resembled Robert Frost, the road less traveled. <laughs> So that my potential partner knows where to find my pot of gold. <laughs> okay, so I got a little carried away, and my genitals soon had a President Chester A. Arthur mutton chop. It was horrifying. <laughs> I did the obvious next step, which was to give my taint a crew cut like a Marine fresh out of Paris Island. Even if I don't have to see my taint hair, somebody else might, and I don't want it to look like a Barbie doll that your brother got with frizzed out hair. <laughs> well, let me tell you, the moment razor hit skin, it started stinking like a tar pit. It was quite an unexpected shock to the system to be totally inundated with the odious fumes of six months worth of bile in my pubes. <laughs> <laughs> After the dust settled, <laughs> the mutton chop still needed tending to. My dick was scowling at me like some villain from a black and white western. It was a ghastly and evil sight. This was not the sort of sexy image I wanted to present to a new fuck buddy on our first romp through the hay. I lost my mind and went sweetie Todd on that mother. I gripped my balls with all my might and furiously hacked at my testicle hair off like I was hunting Charlie in the jungles of Vietnam. <laughs> the My Lai Massacre ain't got nothing on the gift chopping at his dick. <laughs> Dear Lord God, help me. When I went to go take a piss, it looked like I was holding a broken toe. <laughs> My cock and balls resembled a skin-colored turnip. And as it turns out, I wasn't getting laid anytime soon either. Not because my shaft resembled a dead pasty mole on a blistering hot concrete sidewalk. No. You see, it's because of my face. Now, I'm sexless. And have a naked dick. And that <laughs> happened. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Mike. I think I can say that in four and a half years of this show, we've never had a story about pubic grooming before. I think that's true. 
Always nice to have a first. Thank you so much, man. That was great. All right, guys, we have two more stories left tonight. Coming up next to the stage, the director of live events for WBEZ. Maybe you've heard of it. This is Don Hall. I realized uh, when I came in here that I'm a collective double everybody's age in this room. Um, And as I heard the stories of games and pubic hair and so many things, um, I realized that, yeah, yeah, I I have my video game moment, but it was long before most of you were born, because my first video game was Pong, and then Space Invaders, the original motherfucking Atari system. And what I learned from the original Atari system was that when I played video games, and this carried over to when I played Galaga when I was in high school, which was the best Offense, the best defense, it's all just fucking offense. It's just shoot, 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 fucking shoot. There's no strategy to it. My Gallagher's to the percentage at the end was ridiculous, but I shot a lot of fucking bullets, and that was fine. (laughs) This has carried over. When I was 17 years old, I went to my very first and my very last Renaissance fair. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh... And I'd never been, I didn't know what to expect. A friend of mine, Lou, in high school, was a Dungeons and Dragons guy. And he loved Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, consequently, apparently, that goes hand in hand that then he loved Renaissance fairs. So this is in the middle of Kansas. So this is the Kansas, uh, Wichita, in fact, Renaissance fair. And I didn't want to fucking go. I, I don't dress up. I hated my mother trained me to hate Halloween with a passion um, by dressing me up as shit that I didn't want to be, and so I, to this day, do not dress up in costumes of any kind, um, much to my wife's chagrin. Um, so I wasn't going to dress up, but Lou, Lou was dressed as a, a squire or some horse shit like that. He had his outfit on. Um, there was chain mail, but not, he didn't have any. He had no chain mail. And I wish I'd had you know, uh, <laughs> it's 20 bucks so we pay our 20 bucks and we're walking around and Lou's having the fucking time of his life he's seeing you know, we, we get a giant turkey leg and and mead but it was non-alcoholic so I don't think it was mead I think it was apple juice I don't know what it was but we had some of that we walked around we looked at the blacksmith I mean it was like silver dollar city but set in the medieval time <laughs> and, so it was a little weird. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're at the, the, the jousting area and uh, the broadsword uh, combat area. And, all, and Lou has inadvertently, not inadvertently, he signed me up. <laughs> and they called me, hey, Don Hall, Don Hall. And I went, yeah, yeah, come on over. And I'm like, fuck so. And they, they weren't come on over. They were speaking in archaic English accents, but I'm not going to do that shit. Privy <laughs> <laughs> no. B, fuck off. Okay. <laughs> sure. Got it. And, and they, they said, okay, you're our next, you're our next, uh, you're going to need the broadsword. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And Lou wasn't helping me because Lou was over laughing his ass off. And, and they, do you have any armor? I said, no, I, no, I don't have, so they start, to, to tie carpet squares <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and,
limbs, on my thighs, a couple on my chest. They've got a bucket. It's a fucking bucket. They cut the face out of the, the face of a bucket. And then they give me. It's got to be this long. I mean, I, granted, I was smaller than, but it's got to be. It's it's a it's a rattan, which is like much harder than bamboo broadsword. And I'm and I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. And they say, okay, you start over here. They're going to have you walk about ten steps in, and then and then when the maiden, you know, throws the flag, then you go at it. And I look across, and my opponent is way into this shit. <laughs> my opponent, first of all, is an adult. He's not a 17-year-old high school student. He's like a 35-fucking-year-old man. And he's a big man. And he owns real armor. And this shit is polished. He is proud. It's got the visor. And, you know, and he's got chain mail. I got no fucking... He's got chain mail. And he's got his, and he's got his own rattan sword that he's dressed up and it's got some ribbons and some shit. I mean, he's into this. And I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm standing there and Lou's laughing and I'm pissed and I, I'm looking and, I, and then I look at this guy and this guy's got blood in his eye. I mean, he's serious about this shit. And the maiden throws the thing up and this motherfucker starts he runs and he lifts his sword ah! and I, I don't I, I don't know what the rules are no one explained to me that it was an exhibition and that we weren't supposed to hit each other and so when he came at me I sweeped his leg and just started beating the shit I mean I'm just wailing on this he is not fucking getting up and hitting me with his sword he starts to cry. I don't even know. I'm in my brave heart bloodlust. Wham, motherfucker. Boom. His wife runs onto the field. She's begging me to stop kidding her husband. So I stop. And I'm like, what? And she pulls his helmet off. And he is crying. And she is crying. And they come over to me. And they start pulling off my carpet squares. And they kick me out of the whole Renaissance fair. I am escorted out by security. I am not allowed to go back in. I sit out in the parking lot and laugh. For it's got to be a good hour before Lou finally comes out. And Lou is so embarrassed. He's so embarrassed. And so the only thing I can say that I've learned from video games is that when you press start, just keep fucking hitting those buttons until that shit goes down. There's been like a mini theme of coercing people to do things that they don't know they're doing. Joe, come up here. Let's fight with someone. <laughs> <laughs> <What? laughs> At Empire, my friend. All right, guys. We have one more storyteller tonight to close out the evening from Arcade Brewery, creative director, Lance Curran. So yeah, thanks for having us and thanks for drinking our beer. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I came up with my idea for my story before I knew the theme, so I'm going to ignore the shit out of that. Um, um, <laughs> but my idea was more to talk about. I'm, I'm really you know, everyone wants to talk about video games and arcade does a lot of video games, but we also do a lot with comics. And I'm more of a I, mean, I love video games, but I love comics a lot. And one of my new favorite comics is a comic called Sex Criminals. Yeah. Yeah. 
So basically, the, you know, the, the, the heroes and sex criminals, um, their superpower is when they have an orgasm, they stop time. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so they, go, they go on nice adventures. Um, but one of the coolest things about sex criminals is the, uh, the letters page. They have a letters page called Just the Tips. <laughs> and um, one of the first issues I read of uh, sex criminals, one that one that people written in about Woodstash of porn. So like, and that just clicked with me because as a kid, I grew up in rural Indiana. I would find porn in the woods all the time. Like as a kid, like walking through the woods, and I was like, wow, this actually happened to other people. I thought this was something that that was just me. I just came across. I was just, I, I had some weird nose for porn in the woods. You know, I just find it. Um, so, but uh, apparently no, that happens to a lot of people. So this thing started thinking about like as a kid growing up, all the weird shit places I found porn. So my earliest, my earliest memory, I had been like six or seven years old. I was hanging out with my friend Luke, and uh, who later became a finalist on American Idol. It was weird. Weird. Yeah. Um, but I was hanging out with him, and um, we were going back through a back alley, and suddenly came through this huge stash of porn. And so we start opening up, looking at it, and we were very confused. Because um, we were trying to figure out where women went to the bathroom. We couldn't figure that out. We never seen, like, we saw the pubic square, and for some reason we thought the hole was in the center of, like, the front of the triangle, and that was, like, something we were discussing. Like, how, why do they sit? Um, <laughs> I still think about it. No, um, uh, so we were looking at this, you know, figuring it out, um, and then suddenly I hear Luke's mom, like, Luke! Luke! And I hear her coming, and, you know, as a good friend, I took the fuck off. I got the hell out of there. I, I was really I was really scared about being caught with all this porn. Um, but, so I kind of hid in the bushes, and so my friend uh, Luke suddenly reacted to his mom coming around the corner. He starts tearing up all the porn. He's like, Mom, I found all this dirty stuff back here. And she starts tearing it up, and she's like, what are you doing? Um, so that was my earliest memory of finding porn off in the middle of uh, nowhere. Uh, <laughs> The second way I found porn, it wasn't even in the woods. This is a weird story, but not, like, um, my brother had like this filthy. He has an old. My older brother had this filthy gym bag, and he liked to store all his porn there. He knew no one was going to open his bag, but his little brother. Um, <laughs> and so, as a little kid, you know, I would go through his. I find his porn stash, and he wasn't around, I'd go through it. But for some reason, I decided to start taking this into other rooms of the house to read, and of course, forget about it. Um, and so my parents found it and my parents were slightly religious um, became slightly religious I got older and when they found out about it it was amazing because I didn't get in any trouble because they thought my brother was corrupting me they found out it was my brother so it was like uh, I was like ready to get in all this trouble just sort of like the same time with my friend Luke and I realized a pattern of how I can get out of all this trouble let's blame my brother Um, I was always being corrupted I was innocent all the time Um, so Years later in high school, I remember uh, hanging out with some friends. We had this local college. It was an all-male college. Was an all male college. I got ripped off. Heterosexual um, <laughs> male. Um, um, uh, called Wabash College in Indiana. And we had found these tunnels under the ground like where they were like heating or like um, uh, industrial tunnels where they worked on stuff. But anyways, we found a lot. We, we were walking through one night and saw a light on in the tunnel. We're like, hey, what is that? We were able to pop open the lid and... So we started exploring these tunnels under the uh, under the school. And of course, at the end of one of the tunnels was someone's huge stash of porn. Lo <laughs> uh, and behold. Um, <laughs> so that, that was very strange. Um, and so, you know, again, we kind of flipped through it, and it was, you know, semi-alright porn. It wasn't that great. Um, uh, we moved on from there. Um, a few years later, um, there was this really creepy place in my hometown. It used to be a, um, it used to be a slaughterhouse. 
And as a kid at night, at night you could hear the pigs like screaming. Like, like it was it was creepy at night. Sitting on your porch, it was creepy. It was one of the you know that's probably why I have a lot of problems as an adult. But um, <laughs> um, but I could always hear these uh, pigs screaming. But years later, it became abandoned, and um, it was one of those haunted places you kind of dared people to explore. So as a high schooler, we decided to explore it. And when we started exploring it, we suddenly found a mattress with lots of porn and a dildo. <laughs> so someone had been using this scary, very. Uh, it's not the not the funnest place I would think to uh, get your rocks off, but hey, <laughs> to each their own. Uh, the smell of rotted pigs and you know, whatever. So that was another, that was a, that was another strange place. So as I got older, um, um, moved to Chicago in two thousand one. I got my first job in Chicago was uh, walking dogs. I got jobs walking dogs. Learned city, and that was an awesome job because everyone's like happy to see you. You're like, oh. Amazing. Um, so, coming from India, you didn't, like, coming to India, you let your dogs go out, they shit, they come back to the house. I'd never picked up dog shit with my hands before. That was a weird thing for me to finally realize that people actually did that. You're like, you touch shit? All right. <laughs> Into the bag. Um, that was weird for me to understand. Um, so, my first time doing it, I walk through the alley and uh, go to throw it away, and right here next to the trash can, a huge stack of porn. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 Look at all this porn. And it's funny, because I've never owned porn in my life. I was able, really, really, I was, I was able to find porn very easily. Um, and I just thought that was weird, and, and a thing that just kind of, yeah. That was, porn can be found in the strangest places. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you look. Um, I was also pretty good at video games, and that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lance. Uh, I am right there with you as far as I'm a big comic guy. Sex Criminals is fucking great. Uh, here's a song you can all sing along to. <laughs> Live right. 
yourself up yet It's only in your head you feel left out Or looked down on Just do your best Do everything you can And don't you worry what the bitter hearts Are gonna say It just takes some time Production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.